Welcome to The Coaching Question. This is a podcast for people who want to know more about coaching, how and when to use it, and to really understand what is it all about. So join me, Sarah Turner, and my colleague, Gregor Finlay, two executive coaches for an honest conversation. And in today's episode, Gregor has spent some time talking to a lady called Gillian about first 90 days coaching or onboarding coaching. And and I'm quite interested, Gregor, tell me a little bit about why you wanted to focus in particularly on this aspect of coaching. I think it's one of those places where there's a really clear value to the coaching. Mm-hmm. It's uh, some place. It's maybe not the most important. I was thinking, but obviously, again, it should always be in your top three. But it's it's the area of coaching that you can really make sure you're going to get bang for your buck, and it's worth the value. So you should never miss it out. Mm. Onboarding is a hugely important thing. I mean, I'll give some stats early on in, in the podcast just to back that up. I really wanted to speak to Jill and interview Jill because. I have done a fair amount of of this onboarding coaching, but she's done lots of it, and so she's got. A, I think she's got a deeper knowledge around it than I do. So I thought she'd be a really good person to speak to, and she brings out some really great points in the interview. Absolutely, I think for for me with my sort of HR perspective, I think back to my days working as an, in an HR team, you know, often when we're making a senior hire or an important hire, a lot of time and, a, and effort, rightly so, is invested on the assessment process, you know, whether that's interviews or psychometrics or getting buy-in from the, the key stakeholders. But often once that process is completed and we've found the right candidate and we've kind of got the offer accepted, we can kind of get focused on, right, what next? That job is now is now done. And lots and I'm not wanting to do a disservice to HR at all because not, you know, HR people will approach onboarding in many, many different ways. But I think that the value of the conversation with Jill, what it's what it's really highlighting for me is that actually this can be a really, really important time, a really valuable time when investing some money in coaching to ensure a successful transition is just huge. I mean, the return on investment can be massive. So no more talking you and I. Should we get on and, and listen to your interview with Jill? Excellent. Well, I am really lucky in this episode to have a guest, Gillian Frey. Now, Jill's been coaching in business for over 20 years. will not say how long, over 20 years. And she works regularly with people who are preparing themselves to move into a new role or new organisation. So what we might call onboarding or transition coaching. Now, aside from coaching, she's got a long-standing bread-making habit. And I know that while we're doing this interview, she has a loaf uh, uh, preparing and likes to feel creative by practicing her silver jewellery making and taking photographs particularly of mushrooms and fungus and I do follow her on Instagram and that is very true you do like taking photographs of, of those topics but one of the reasons I'm, I wanted to talk with you for our audience Joe, was I know that you have done a lot of work you know, around the whole concept of onboarding Michael Watkins' fantastic book First 90 Days and uh, is it his company or did he found Genesis Advisors? He, he did found Genesis Advisors, yeah. And uh, it's still very much um, an active member of the Genesis Advisors team. Right. Okay. So I, I just know you've done loads of uh, work in that area. And I was thinking about podcast titles and it's like onboarding coaching. It's a no brainer, isn't it? 
Well, certainly the research would show that people who have support to onboard and, and organizations who are thoughtful about how they bring people into the organization find that that those people that they do bring in are, are more successful and more successful more quickly if they have a focused onboarding plan and some support to go along with that. I was trying to find where I'd found this quote because I, I captured it for a while ago, but this quote was saying that outside hires take twice as long to ramp up as a leader promoted from within. And C-suite executives report that only one out of five executives hired from outside are viewed as high performers at the end of their first year in-house. And ultimately, of the 40% of leaders who are hired from outside each year, nearly half fail within the first 18 months. Wow. Yeah. Some fairly big numbers in there. Some scary numbers in there, actually. I've I've definitely done some of what a lot of people will call first 90 days coaching, referenced by Co-Walkins, but I, I do know that I've had one quote saying, well, we're at least six months ahead of where we thought we were going to be, you know, that sort of thing. But I'd just like to, for our audience, for, for you to share what, what you think is important. Well, I think there's a number of things. And I think having a structured approach can really help. So having an idea of what is what are the most important things that you need to learn and when you're joining the organization or starting a new role and having a structured learning plan in place that can help you to be able to both discover and figure out the knowledge, the skills, the behaviors that are going to make you successful. Often when somebody joins a new organization and we think about it being them that's in transition. And for me, it's much more holistic. Actually, everybody is in transition whenever a new person joins. So I was coaching somebody recently who said, I'm very conscious that I am in a transition. I am a, a new leader, first female leader in this organization, first female leader in this part of the world as well, in terms of uh, she was she's based in Africa. And she said, so whilst I'm going through this transition, so is everybody else around me, because it's the first time that they've been led by a woman. It's the first time that they have been led by a woman who's based in Africa, for example. So there's something for me about having a very holistic approach and also noticing and realizing that it's almost like um, if you do a body, if you do a transplant of an organ in a body, the organ is new and the rest of the body also has to assimilate around it. And so finding your way and finding a structured way of being able to figure out what you need to learn. And in Michael's book, he talks about there being three main categories of learning. He talks about what do you need to know and learn from a political perspective, because politics exists in every organization. What are the technical skills and knowledge that you need to have? And what are the cultural experiences and exposure that you need to make sure that even as a successful leader in any other organization, you can be a successful leader in this particular organization and know what works in this place rather than in any other. Yeah, and that's that's something that's really come through for, for me. I think one of the other bits of data, the research was shown that where a lot of people fail is that they, they don't fit in with the culture or they yeah. don't assimilate to the culture. And it's really interesting when I think about that thing about onboard or transition coaching, we could actually call it integration coaching because it is about you as a, a lot, quite like that metaphor of an organ. You, are, you have to integrate with the system around you. So it's about you changing and learning, loads and loads of learning, but also being able to help 
the context around you to to shift. Exactly, and um, and often, particularly at a senior level, people are brought in with some level of change agenda. You know, they've yeah. been given some kind of mandate that says we want things to be different. And what I'm not suggesting is that you avoid or completely ignore that. Those are the reasons that you're there often. But you have to learn what works here first to be able to make those that transition for everybody else feel as comfortable and that you're taking people with you rather than just arriving with, this is now the way that we're going to do things, for example. I think that's one of the most significant things I think comes out of the, the, the book is this whole learning agenda. It's really, really important. And another thing that I really picked up, it just resonated with me, is the fact that you you contract with your manager what you're what you're doing at each point and recontract. So it's like these first thirty days or these first sixty days, I am just learning. I am not going to be making any significant changes, no matter how much you've promised the board. I am. Yeah. And there are a certain number of quick wins that that you can also implement. So we look at the idea of, you know, what are some of the quick wins you can have? What are then some of the longer term implications and some of the longer term changes? But you're not going to know those things until you've had a period of learning. Some of that learning can take place before you join sometimes. You know, I've had leaders who um, have spent time with people within the new organization or have had the chance to do some of their online reading or research. But the majority of it is going to happen the day that you land and then beyond there. I wonder how much difference you've seen with in the context of COVID because I was coaching a guy and he took over a, a whole media operation but he started this whole, took over this business. He has still hasn't met anybody face-to-face and he's been there over a year. What's, what's been your experience? Um, well, actually, I even sort of, I'm trying to think back how long ago it was. I was mentioning this to a client just this morning, actually. But I was bringing people into my team in probably around about 2013, 14. And because I was based in the UK and some of my team were based in the US, there were people who I brought on, inducted, and who were very successful in their careers without me ever having met them personally. So whilst COVID has accelerated that and has made that significantly more prevalent for the majority of people, it can be done and has been done outside of of COVID. I think it needs a lot more thought and a lot more of those incidental conversations that happen when people are just in the office need to be structured more and need, you need to have some more time and space for some of those things. But I th- also think that there are potentially some advantages. And I think this is not going to go away, certainly for the next few months, if not beyond. And so rather than trying to think about, well, we used to do things this way and wasn't it wonderful? Sometimes it was, sometimes it wasn't. The fact is that this is how we do it now. And so let's think about how we make that the best that it can be now with the tools that we have available. And for example, the person I was uh, I was with this morning who I was coaching at the end of the session, um, she said, I'm amazed at the depth we've gone to in this conversation. And I really didn't believe it was possible without us being together in person. And I've never met her before. And we've still managed to achieve some of those things. So if we have the right mindset, I think it does make a big difference. I think there's a clear business case for for the whole onboarding scenario, and I, th- I do think it's a no-brainer. And it's amazing how often you get you get pulled in because a transition hasn't gone well or isn't going well, and then you get pulled in rather than the 
organization actually investing up front in the transition. One of the things I remember watching something with the Genesis advisors, they're saying that actually an internal transition or it could be even more complex. Yeah. But especially if like for example, you you're taking on the leadership of a team and and part of the team you're now managing were competing with you for that job. Exactly. And and either there are people who have been disappointed because they didn't get the role that you're now in, or they didn't go for that job, but they were still your peers and they now have to see you in a different way and you have to see them in a different way. And again, that transition, whilst you're not learning some of the other things about how are things done around here and what do some of the sort of what are some of the more normal practices or behaviors, you're having to remold yourself to a certain extent and uh, and to have other people experience you in a different way. I can remember speaking to a partner in a, a global consulting firm who was promoted to partner and he was he went into his team room, which he's, he'd done for weeks before that as well. And one of the more junior members of the team gave him his paperwork and apologized because it wasn't bound. It only had a paperclip and said, I'm really sorry, you know, I haven't had time to bind this. It's just got a paperclip. Now, yesterday that wouldn't have mattered because he wasn't a partner, but today it did. And that just yeah. how other people put on a certain layer of perceptions about what you expect and what you need and want can also have a real impact in terms of the relationships that you almost need to restart and recontract to make them work. I'm wondering if I, I pick up on a particular level of resistance when I when I do onboarding coaching, and I'm wondering if it's just me and my projections or if you – so I'm wondering – where you experience resistance from the client? It's not something that I've particularly been aware of, possibly because a lot of the people that I coach in transition have been funding the coaching themselves. So they've already bought the problem, if you like. They already right. recognize the problem. Um, I think if the coaching is being paid for by the organization, then there potentially could be some resistance in there in terms of, well, I've done this several times before. Why do I suddenly need a, a coach? What is it about this organization that makes it any different than the last four I joined, for example? But it's not something I've experienced personally in any great depth uh, to be able to give you a qualified answer to that one. could just be me and my, my limited experience. I, there's this thing I'm, I'm sure in the book is basically saying by by day sixty you really need to have made your mind up about your team, yeah, and who's staying and who might be going, and you know the the team is so important for the for the long term success of the individual. And I have experienced some resistance to I that they don't. I've had a few people that don't really want to go there. They they don't want to they don't want to lose people. They don't want to do that sort of thing. So I, I've I've had people who've said that what they want to be able to do is make sure that they're being exceptionally considered in their approach. So I think there is something about how you can support from a coaching perspective in terms of what more information do you need? What is it that's going to make the difference? And sometimes sort of some of that being able to follow your instinct and um, and then qualify that instinct with something appropriate. Often what a coach I think can do at that point is play the and how do you know kind of questions to make sure that the confirmation bias that can exist in a lot of us either to show that people are, are, are going to work really well or they're not going to fit is something that's been well thought through and tested. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And I think that's, um, I quite like that. So 
that you know that solution focused sort of approach you know what you're going to notice when things are ideal i think that can often really help people surface what what success really looks like because they don't really know but yeah that's one thing that's come up for me in that sort of transition coaching and i think the one of the other things that's been really different is what what's the role that the line manager is going to play yeah, and I think that, you know, typically, and for most people, the line manager relationship is one that's that's pretty key in terms of helping somebody and supporting somebody. And, uh, and actually, some of that contracting that you mentioned earlier on, so starting to understand what is your line manager's communication style? You know, do they prefer detail or big picture? Do they like things in writing? Do they prefer to talk them through? Being able to have explicit conversations about those needs and wants, not just with your line manager, but also with the other people in your team and your peers, can go a long way to both helping you understand what people expect and what people need to be able to get to work well with you quickly, which is what transition coaching is all about, is how do I get to be successful as quickly as possible? And so some of that is about me saying to you, Gregor, how do you like to get to to know about things? How do you like to be communicated with? And also me expressing my preferences so that the people around me can help to deliver things the way that I need them, as well as me delivering things to you the way that you need them. I I think that's one thing that coaches can do because we are used to contracting with people. And so we have the conversation about the conversation. And I think a lot of people in business or in organizations they have conversations about the stuff but they don't have the conversations about the conversation yeah and that and also it's a way of being able to test out language so in one organization i work with urgent men if we didn't have something within five minutes it was late in other organization urgent might mean by tomorrow you know some of those expectations when i say i want something at, at draft one stage do i mean completely rough. It's got some ideas and a, and a structure that we can then talk about together and I can give you guidance. Or is draft one pretty much the done thing? And all you need is my comments and sign off to be able to get it to final stage. And again, having those conversations about what expectations are and what the language is when I use particular words and what when other people use particular words, what they mean can allow us to really start to understand some of the models and paradigms that we assume that because they're in our head and they're normal, that they're exactly the same for other people and often yeah. they're not. I like to try and highlight and get people to articulate what the differences in culture are. And and also, I think it's really useful to look for stories. What are the stories that are yeah. told here? The myths and the legends and the, the sort of, and actually trying to find a, an organizational historian who can tell you some of the things that have happened in the past and potentially why they might have happened can really help you understand the way that things are today and why some of those things are either important or not important. In fact, that's a really, really good tip, actually finding the organizational historian or, you know, people who can, you know, you might say, oh, they're they're a real blether. But actually what you're really saying is that that this person can really be a goldmine of information now, I quite often find that when people are, you, you ask people, what well, find things, find projects or decisions that have been made that have gone really well and why, yeah. and then find something that went disastrously wrong and find out why. Mm-hmm. And it really gives an insight into the, 
their culture. Or if people are prepared to talk about those things or not and how they talk about them also gives you an insight into culture. Because if somebody says we've never had any failures or we don't talk about them and you know, those people don't are not even with us anymore, tells you something about the organization and about how it treats yeah. that kind of information. I realise I'm just wondering if there's a whole podcast worth. I, I, what really came to mind there was the the gestalt cycle of change. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll put something in the show notes about the gestalt cycle of change, but I just love it in terms of people saying, oh, when do you get through the cycle and what's present or absent? And just knowing that yeah. which can just be an absolute goldmine. Absolutely. I remember one, one organisation I used to work for as an employee, and if you tried to find out about failures there would have been nobody that was firsthand able to talk to you because they had all exited the build, the business. They didn't stick around. You didn't get asked to stay around oh, wow. if something didn't work. Now, that's a myth and legend, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, that sounds like the frightened organization to me. <laughs> it's an organization that just did not have a way of seeing failure as learning. So that you, did, you didn't learn anything. You left. And the learning was you've got to be so good that you never make a mistake, which actually means that people don't take risks and people yeah. are permanently yeah. sort of waiting for that knock up. So they wouldn't they wouldn't do an, an after action review then. No. no, that's very that would be a very interesting uh, culture. As I was just thinking, but like, there's little nuggets that come out, and and so I remember once was this whole thing about getting your boss to sponsor you through and to open up communication lines. That a boss might, especially when you get to senior levels, it's like you're big, you're grown up. I don't need to spend any time on you. Get on with it. Yeah. But it's actually part of their role is to sponsor their new people and open up those communication lines. And and again, it, it tells you a lot about the boss whether they're willing to do that or whether they're willing to sort of let you in the water and and sort of only only rescue you if you look like you're you're drowning. So I think that again, there's something about the understanding what expectations are that can be helpful and at least that way if that is what the case is then you then you get to know about it and you can then decide what to do about it but i often say to people it's very difficult from a distance to tell whether somebody's swimming or drowning because they're flailing their arms in the air and it looks exactly the same from a long way away it's i mean it's such a huge area but if you were to so you've got you've got an hr director and they're thinking about using a coach for some onboarding, some transition coaching. What would your top tips be? In terms of trying to find a coach or employ a coaching approach? In terms of employing a coaching approach to, to that specific area of onboarding, I you know, I, I want to bring in a new, I've been told we need to bring in a new sales director or a new marketing director, and you want to make them successful. In fact, the company needs them to be successful. So we think, right, I'll get a coach in what would your bits, three bits of advice be to that HR day? So for, the, for me, the most important thing, and I would say this about any kind of coaching, is that the coach and the coachee need to be need to have chemistry, and they needs to be able they need to be able to see that challenge and to see that appropriately. The, co- yeah. the person being coached needs to want to be coached. <laughs> Get, put anybody in, and that's not that's not going to work. So those two things for me are, are fundamental in any coaching environment. And then I think it's about understanding that actually it can feel pretty lonely when you either have been promoted from within the organization and you're in a new role trying to figure out those new peer relationships and those other relationships, or you're brand new into organization. And having somebody who is can be more objective, 
can be a sounding board and can be the person who you can talk to as the person being coached about some of the fears, some of your potentially, particularly at a senior level, these are some of the things I'm noticing and I'm going to have to make decisions about and I need somebody to thought partner with me as I work my way through some of that structured planning can be really, really helpful. And that person is often not from within the organization because they don't have that objectivity. And I think those are all really, I mean, just really good things, coaching full stop. I'm just thinking about onboarding does tend to be, there is a, as I said, there's a structured approach. So I think if I was an HRD, I would want, I would probably want to know what is your structured approach to an onboarding assignment. So for me, there's something about understanding what are the things that I need to know. So having that structured learning plan that's split into technical, cultural and political. What what does my stakeholder map look like? What does it look like on paper? What are some of the things that are sort of the invisible stuff that goes on around that in terms of of how things get done around here? So does a meeting happen and a decision gets made in the meeting or is the socialisation for that content done well beforehand so that the meeting's just a rubber stamp of what's already been agreed and discussed. And being able to have a structured approach to what do I need to learn, when do I need to learn it by, and how will I know when I've got enough information to be able to start to make those informed decisions about the actions that I'm going to be taking that I know will then be successful. So I think I'm really hearing the thing about a structured learning approach and there's that thing coming through that I want to be talking to a coach that realizes it's not just about the individual being onboarded it is about the system and to have the you've showed quite a lot of knowledge about culture fit you know myths and legends the organizational story and you know there's a there's a whole bunch of stuff there that I think would give me comfort you know, if I'm, I'm saying, right, I want to work with a coach, is like, yeah, good chemistry, they can be a thinking partner, but there's this stuff about I need quick wins, but I don't want quick wins at all costs. I want a long-term success. Yeah, Quick wins have to be part of it, but you're not sacrificing one for the other. Yeah. Most organizations don't say, right, go and onboard yourself for 90 days and then like, we'll expect <laughs> something to be done. People are, are, are much more expectant than that and so they should be you know often people are being paid exceptionally well as well in these roles but I think there's something about being conscious of the decisions that you're making and then the depth to which those conversations have an impact so being able to understand the structure and how what you do over here affects something over here that with the best of intentions you need some assimilation to be able to know some of those things so where are you gathering that information from how are you gathering that information and how do you know when you've got enough? Because we're all going to live with a level of ambiguity. We're never going to know everything before we can make a decision. But there's something about being thoughtful and conscious of some of those things so that we don't just arrive in an organization and hope that we soak all of that in by osmosis, but we know the people that we want to speak to, the questions that we want to ask, the structure that we have for, for understanding some of those things. Do we have group meetings? Do we do everything one-to-one? You know, how do we go about pulling some of that information in for ourselves that allows us to be able to start to build that structure in our own heads of how things work and where I fit? 
Jill, that has been fantastic. Thank you for sharing your knowledge. I'm sure our audience will really have learned a lot about the whole onboarding. I definitely recommend, you know, first 90 days or later. If people are going to buy it, make sure they get a new one, not the, the first edition, because there have been a lot of changes, you know, in his second. And Michael's also done a, um, a lot of work just recently. So there's been a number of articles published um, in Harvard Business Review over the last couple of months, actually, that also address that piece around virtual onboarding as well so he's got some really good hints and tips in there right okay so to so check out maybe find some of them put them in put them in the uh, show notes um, and i would just say to the audience if you have not been using a coach for for onboarding really consider it because it's a very worthwhile investment if you want to get people make sure they're successful but also get them up to speed quickly because I think that's the thing that I've really noticed in my work in this area is this, the speed at which you can get people really far and on off cylinder. Yeah, and being fully operational and um, and really sort of comfortable to be uncomfortable at times as well can be really helpful. Thanks, Joe. Being a great conversation. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, Sarah, what are your thoughts? I love that. And I think the couple of key takeaways for me really were this whole point about the systemic perspective. So Jill talks about it's not just the individual who's in transition, it's the whole system. And she used that metaphor of a bit like an organ transplant. You know, it's not just about the organ yeah. itself, it's about the body accepting that new that new organ. And so that, and then also the point she was talking about, where she was talking about the past and this this sort of concept of a system having having a history, having a memory. And so, you know, if, if you were in a role and you leave the organization, then I come in and, and kind of fill that vacancy. There's the history of you being in that role, the way you acted, the way you delivered outcomes, the way you were. And there will be, whether it's conscious or not, expectations that I'm going to fit into that same mold when actually I'm may not yeah and she uses it i think she uses the term certainly used in the book uh, which is identifying one or more organizational historians yeah and i think that can be really valuable there is actually an onboarding exercise i think comes from david clutterback but i'm not sure which is um you get the the new person on the team and you would give them so say you were going to launch a new product you say, well, what's going to be your first step in launching this new product? And they would say what their first step would be. And then it goes back to the organizational historian. So, well, would that work there? What, what? And say, well, actually, that would struggle here because of this bit, because you haven't involved them and they're used to being involved. And so you go back and forth in terms of what is the, the way the new person would do it and what yeah. they might bump up into in the culture. And that could be a really incredible uh, onboarding process that you do as part of a team coaching. And something that's just so easily overlooked, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, Jill, Jill shared those three perspectives, didn't she? What were they, political, technical, and cultural? Those are the three learning agendas, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I just think it's so valuable to invest some proper time in thinking about that and reflecting on the impact of all of those. I think the onboarding coaching is one of those areas where you are being, process-wise, you are being more directive as a coach mm -hmm. because you do want, you, you are taking a much more structured approach. You're helping the coachee take a much more structured approach to their learning. Mm. You're directing them to certain things. You may be challenging them 
at certain stages, if they are having a resistance to doing certain things that are important. I mean, a key point for me is always at the end of 60 days, there's a decision to be made. Who are you keeping on your team and who are you going to get rid of? Oh, I don't really want to get rid of them. Wait a minute. If you don't handle this challenge now, you're going to have to handle it six months down the track or deal with it. Yeah. So let's let's talk about it now. So that so I think there is a bit more. Um, it can be more directive, but you're still working mm. on the same basis of how you help the coachee be as successful as possible as quickly as possible. Mm. And I think you know, and again, she 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 made reference to this. You know, we invest a lot of time and money when we're hiring really senior people and actually it's in all of our interests to make that a success and I think that um, you know if we think about the impact of COVID I've spoken to a number of people recently who've joined organizations during COVID and just the impact that that has in terms of how you establish yourself how you build relationships how you get a sense of the culture you know what's going to work what's not going to work I think is is amplified Um, and so perhaps onboarding coaching is even more important um, yeah, due to the pandemic yeah. yeah well I mean one of the tips is on onboarding is when you interview your you know your reports and you, you know you get in you're doing onboarding you know conversations mm. uh, with your direct reports and maybe your skip level to ask the same questions mm. yeah so you get a really good data set that you can that you can work from but COVID or working remotely you, you know it may not be COVID it might just you might just have a remote leadership role. Absolutely. Is to insert questions that are about culture. Yeah. That you're not going to just absorb by being there with people. That's a that's a definite that's a definite catch. I hope everyone has, has enjoyed listening to the interview with uh, with Joe. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the show. If you've got any further questions on onboarding or any anything else, we'd really love to hear from you. So you can email us at info at thecoachingquestion.com. As always, we ask that you give us a rating on iTunes. Getting a five-star rating on iTunes really helps spread the word. So that's why we're always asking. And we look forward to speaking to you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you very much.